somebody and tell them good morning.
who call upon the God who saves. If your sins have been washed away, bless the Lord. And if you stand only by His grace, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. trying to get Mark Strong, who's got to make an announcement to welcome you, and uh, he's a big baby, and uh, <laughs> so, so, well, he's a big baby in a good way. How are you guys today? It's so good. Are you excited for Thanksgiving? 
There are so many people. You know, the schools fell on a, a different calendar this year, so a lot of people out of town, a lot of people traveling for Thanksgiving, and we are the people with no family. So here we are. Yeah, kind of depressing for those of you in, you know, other places with your family. <sighs> Pray for us. No, it is such a – I love this week. Don't you love this week? The turkey. How many of you will have turkey this week? How many of you this is the only time you're going to eat turkey all this year? See, about the same number of people. But here is the trick, and we do that as well. The reason I like turkey, and we don't like to deep fry it, although it is good that way, is I like the smell while we're watching the uh, parade, you know? I like that smell and, and all. And, and if you're not a big fan of turkey, the answer is gravy. Lots and lots of gravy. And, uh, you know, the more stuff that'll kill you, is it, it'll get better. I mean, it's just awesome. So uh, I, the Lord and I have been talking, and he wanted me to tell you that gluttony is officially not a sin for the next seven days. So uh, you may die, but uh, you will die with a smile on your face, and what a way to go. Anyway, it's, uh, it's a good week. I hope you're looking forward to it. The weather looks like it's going to be beautiful. we got a group of people leaving tomorrow to go on a cruise together. Those, who, those of us who have no money, we'll just be praying for them as they go. And, uh, but, uh, you know, if you're traveling, be safe. If you're traveling, you should be here. Um, but uh, anyway, it's going to be a wonderful week. Mark Strong, are you ready? Have you, have you amped yourself up for this? So Mark is one of our elders, and uh, he is the elder that... Just a second. Don't. I gave it. I offered it to you before. So Mark is the elder. It's the whole service is going to be like this today. So Mark is the elder that oversees our personnel team. So and I was going to make a comment about the love offering, but after that big baby comment, I don't think I will. No, we are uh, in the process of taking up a love offering for our staff to show our appreciation and support for them. And we'll be doing that through December the 12th. And there's a little love offering envelope in your worship guide if you'd like to drop something in the plate when it comes by. And it's really just the only time during the year that we show our support in a tangible way to our staff. So you'll consider that and put it in the plate as it comes by. Thank you. Give Mark a big hand. You did a phenomenal job. <laughs> I was kidding about the hand, but I'm, I'm in one of those moods. I think it's that tetracycline that kicks in after the turkey. It's not tetracycline, that's acne medicine. Does anybody but Kevin Hudson not know that here? What is it? What is it that's in a turkey that makes you tired after? Tryptophan, thank you. So wake up, because it's going to be an interactive service today. I do have some highlights. Would you open your worship guide? I, I, I'm wasting a lot of time this morning, and I really don't want to, because we're going to wrap up Ruth today. Man, I'm pretty excited about what we... If you do not know what to be thankful for this year, I'm going to give you something this morning. And uh, we're going to have a good time in the Word. So uh, thanks for being here. Um, I, I'm going to highlight a few things. Lots of stuff in here. Tonight uh, is the Turkey Bowl for the student ministry at 6 p.m. Please take note of that. Beyond that, let me highlight some things. This is actually the bu busiest few days of our year. And, and we want you to be involved. Uh, agape, or agape, we'll get to that in a minute. But first is Operation Christmas Child. That is our major holiday season ministry. As you know, Operation Christmas Child is a Samaritan's Purse ministry where they take shoe boxes, and many of you have participated already, and they send them global. They go into almost every nation across the globe. Uh, they put them in the hands of pastors along with some of the distributors that they have going, and those pastors present the gospel as they give these gifts out, and then they follow up with an 11-week discipleship program. It is a phenomenal ministry, uh, uniquely evangelical. It is not just about Christmas. That is a uh, 
man, that's just a process by which the gospel and discipleship is done. So uh, we have been collecting for a week. You can still uh, pick up a box or two and fill it if you would like to. That will end tomorrow night. You'll, you've seen the two uh, tractor-trailer semis out there. We will take all the crate. We put them in cartons, and then we, we will fill those in the truck tomorrow afternoon. That's my first request. We need help, uh, especially those of you who have a strong back. We, we loaded up one, uh, one of the trailers yesterday. A bunch of college students helped me do that, and that was wonderful. But tomorrow we uh, will load up and fill. Those both will be full by the end of tomorrow. So if you are able to assist us and you have a strong back, we could sure use your help. Uh, it's, I think it's going to start around 3 tomorrow. Uh, afternoon when we'll start loading trucks and different things. It'll go till about 7.30. If you are available for an hour, uh, is that, Miss Overby, is that right? About 3 is when you're going to start loading those? Anything else you want to add? I'm sorry? We need all the help we can get. That will make it easier, and nobody will be uh, in, casted up or in the hospital as a result. But, it, but we need your help. So if you have strong arms, a strong back, and a willing heart, we would sure appreciate it uh, tomorrow. Come on by. Uh, if you want to sign up, you can. Some have, but we would sure appreciate more of you signing up as well. That will, that will help us. This is a great opportunity to serve the Lord and, and Samaritan's Purse and all. Um, when that's done, then we turn on celebrating as a family, and that is what Tuesday night is all about. We have our annual agape feast. If you are new to Carpenter's Way, this is the one big um, meal that we have together every year, and it is a celebration of God's goodness over the past year uh, and what he has planned for us. And this, uh, it starts at 6.30 on Tuesday evening, and uh, you need to bring two um, side dishes to share, and we'll fill that welcome area with food and we'll come in here and we'll eat together and it's just a wonderful night um, so if you don't have plans you're gonna have to eat dinner we'll go from about 6 30 to about 8 or 8 30 and uh and sure could sure would love to have you join us so uh that is tuesday night even if this is your first time you want to join us we'd love to have you and get to know some folks here we'll have a lot of fun um, having said that, I need some help after the service today, men. We're, gonna, uh, we're going to set this up, turn this into a dining room. And, and what that means is, we're gonna, just so you know now, because nobody ever listens to me. So listen now. This is going to be stacked and taken out. Then we'll bring tables in, and we'll grab the chairs from the side, and we'll put them around those tables, and then we'll bring more tables in. You get it? These are the only ones that are leaving. We're going to stack them. We're going to take them out here, and then we'll start putting tables up here, and then we'll put chairs around. Okay? No. Okay. Let me do that again. Welcome to Carpenter's Way. It's great to have you here today. <laughs> bless, bless your heart. And those of you laughing know exactly what that means. Every mother in the room, bless your heart. That's code for something I'll tell you later. All right. I think that's all the announcements I really like to make this morning. If, if you would take some time to read your worship guide, all the stuff you need to know is in there. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward for this offering. Uh, our, uh, obviously, in the last five minutes, our middle screen went out, so if you'd like to give a little extra, uh, that's, that's a joke. I'm, I'm in one of those moods today. So let's, uh, let's pray, and let's ask God to, to bless our time, and then we'll get back to what we came here to do. Lord, we love you, and, and, and thank you for everything, Father, and uh, as we now step into the holiday season with the music and the store shopping and the food and the smells of the season, Lord Jesus, I pray that we would not allow all of that to distract from the real reason we can be thankful, and uh, Father, the real celebration of your birth, that first Noel, and, and uh, Lord, I pray that we as a church would celebrate, that we as families would celebrate, that we as individuals would find joy in our hearts because of what you have already done. 
And I thank you, Lord, that we can gather together and enjoy each other's company and, and enjoy your, the presence of your Holy Spirit and your word. And Lord, just change us. Um, change us into the kind of people you want us to be. And, and Lord, uh, as we give back now financially, we pray for those that will be supported by this, our missionaries across the globe, um, the ministries here, uh, our, our, those in need that we will assist. Father, I just thank you that we have the privilege to do that and pray that you would bless them and those that give too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. In his understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint.
Take your Bibles and turn to Ruth. I'm going to start us by reading Ruth chapter 3. One day, Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with, this, with his young women. Tonight he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath, put on perfume, and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he's finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He'll tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly uncovered his feet and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man, uh, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I am one of your family's redeemers, there's another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning, I'll talk with him. If he's willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. But if he's not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning. But she got it before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to the town. When when Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, what happened to my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her. And she added, he gave me these six scoops of barley and said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said to her, Just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. It is uh, quite one thing to know and admit openly that your life is in trouble. It's quite another thing to seek someone out in a position to redeem you and fix your problem. And it's even another thing for that person to be willing to redeem you. Ruth was a Moabite woman, as most of you remember, making her by birth actually an enemy of the state of Israel, an enemy of the people of Israel by birth. And in this passage, we see that she seeks to be redeemed legally by a respected Jewish man who has shown her mercy by allowing her to simply glean or pick up fruit from his harvest. In last week's conversation, that's what what we talked about. We talked about at that moment of our salvation, we were, or seek, we were like Ruth, seeking to be redeemed by the one who owes us nothing. Seeking to be taken in. In last week's conversation, we talked about how we sought mercy from God 
when we were in fact called the enemies of God, the Holy One we just sang about. We had no reason, having personally offended God, for Him to accept us or redeem us, except that He wanted to. Seeking to be redeemed by the Holy One and actually receiving it, however, are two different things. In last week's text that I just read you, Ruth sought to be redeemed by a guy who owed her nothing. And his initial response was this in verse 11. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary. For everyone in town knows you're a virtuous woman. But while it's true I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I'll talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until the morning. So to be clear... Ruth is seeking to be redeemed from a man who had a million reasons to go on with his life while ignoring this poor immigrant and her mother who had abandoned the ship of Israel because she didn't trust in the Lord. But rather than just telling her to leave him alone, telling her that he's given her food and she's asking for too much, rather than just putting her off and saying, you deserve what you get because your mom and dad-in-law abandoned us. We were faithful. He tells her to trust him, to rest in his promise that he will take care of her problem, whether somebody else or he himself takes care of it. And it's important that you remember that what we are talking about here, as much as the story has been turned into a romantic novel in our culture, this was not a romance story, although it turns out romantic. This is a story about a legal transaction done out of a merciful and gracious heart of this man. As we discussed last week, God, the king of Israel, had ordained that each family, when they arrived at the promised land, each Jewish family would be given a piece of property that his intention was to leave it in that family's control for the life until he returned. That was his plan. And knowing that... uh, that in times of drought or poverty or personal foolish choices, like is the story of Elimelech and Naomi, family might lose their property. God had ordained that every seven years in what you have heard certainly called the year of Jubilee, that that land without would be given back to that family during that period of time. However, if there was not a male patriarch of that family, that was able to take back that land in the year of Jubilee, then one of the women in that family could marry a relative, a close relative of hers, called a kinsman redeemer, who would then not only take back the land for the family, but responsibility for the family as well, taking care of them. By the way, a little tiny part of this that people don't really understand is in our minds, we think that logically it's a good thing to take that land. It's a business adventure. The reality is, though, that when that woman married the kinsman redeemer, that property did not stay his and his direct heirs. It would one point go back when he, upon his death. It would now go to his wife, the one he redeemed, to her children. So let me be clear. There was no financial benefit to being a kinsman redeemer. There was no benefit to, to uh, Boaz to do this. There might have been to the unnamed guy who was willing to buy the property and she would receive the money for that. But to a kinsman redeemer that, buy, that, that actually takes in a wife and her family, the goal is to give her a son that can take care of her and take back that property as God had ordained. 
Let me be clear. This notion of God just picking a nation and it randomly going on is not how it is. God had a plan for these people all the way down to the individual families. And there's no exception for you and I. You have been chosen by God for a purpose. You, my friends, and I are the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus so that, Hebrews, or Ephesians 2.10 says, we can do things that he created us beforehand to do. He has tooled us and, and he, has, he has put us together for a purpose, whether it's in East Texas or it's in Israel. And we often forget, we, we, we think we're just one of millions. You're not one of millions. To God, you are the most important among billions that he has called to himself for his plan going on around you. Boaz in chapter 3 told Ruth not to tell anyone that she was there. That wasn't because of promiscuity or something torrid had happened, but he tells her to keep it quiet because Boaz has a plan. And you're going to see that plan in chapter 4. He knew that uh, one would, of course, redeem her, whether it was this other man or himself, but he was a cunning guy. In Ruth 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, he says this, Boaz went to the town gate, and he took a seat there. Then the family redeemer he had mentioned came by, so Boaz called to him. Come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk with you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called ten leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. This is a legal transaction that's about to take place. Then Boaz called ten leaders, Verse 3, and Boaz said to the family redeemer, you know Naomi who came back from Moab. She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, then uh, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. And of course, the man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. Remember how Boaz in chapter 3 told Ruth not to tell anybody? I already mentioned that. This is why. Because, well, he's setting him up. Look at verse four, 5. Then Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. <laughs> you know, the joke about tetracycline I've been doing every year for 33 years since I was in ministry, and nobody ever laughs at it. Is it, is it not funny? Or do you not know... I mean, this is funny. These are real people, you guys. This is real life. Church has become sterile. When we gather, it's a family gather. And when we look at Scripture, we have a tendency to separate ourselves from the reality of what's going on here. This unnamed redeemer wants the property. Boaz wants Ruth. The Redeemer wants a legal transaction that gives him more property. Boaz wants to offer a life to this woman and her mother-in-law. There's a stark difference, and it's real. Would Boaz have allowed him to marry her if he said, okay, I have every reason to believe the answer is yes, but he knew he wouldn't. So he sets him up by telling her, don't let anybody know you're here. Because, you know, when somebody walks up to you with 10 other observers and says, how are you? I have a really weird question for you. 
the hair on the back of your neck begins to stand up and you begin to realize that somebody's about to ask you a loaded question. And that's what happens here. And he answers apparently exactly as he expected. Of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, that, that Moabite widow. That way she can have children who are carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Remember what I told you about the land? He just loaded the deck. What he's saying is, you're going to take responsibility for Ruth and Naomi, and that land will only be yours temporarily. I'd like to remind you that mercy is what you get when you do not get what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Can you wrap your mind around that? Grace is being given what you do not deserve. In other words, mercy is not going to hell or being under God's condemnation. Grace is being an heir to the throne of God and, and being a joint heir with Christ and getting heaven, getting a name, having a relationship with the King of Kings, being adopted. Mercy says, I'm not going to judge you. Grace says, I'm going to instead give you everything. Mercy is not getting what you deserve and grace is getting what you do not deserve. Mercy would have been for Boaz to simply make sure that Ruth did not die in poverty. Mercy would have been to make sure that this unnamed individual actually gave them enough money for that property so that they could live the rest of their life in wealth. Grace is what Boaz want, wanted to offer Ruth to make sure that she not only survived, but thrived with an abundant life. Verse 6, the response of the unnamed individual. And now you know why he's unnamed. Then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land, I cannot do it. Hook, sep. You go ahead and take it. This unnamed man was willing to take her land, but he was not willing to take responsibility for Ruth and her mother-in-law. The personal cost would have been more than he was willing to pay. Boaz was willing to pay any price to redeem Ruth. This other man was not. Take a deep breath. Wrap your mind around it. I'm not saying the other guy was a bad guy. I'm not saying that it wouldn't have messed up his estate with his boys. I'm not saying that he didn't make the right legal and financial decision. I'm simply saying that both of these men who are in position to redeem this woman and her family have different goals. One is, I need to take care of what's mine. And the other is, I want to take care of what's yours. You can make the point that the unnamed man wanted the property while Boaz wanted a relationship with the woman and offer her a life. So verse 7, we'll pick it up there. Now in those days it was a custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated a transaction. So the other family redeemer drew up his sandal as he said to Boaz, you buy the land. Notice what he's fixated on? It's not about her. It's not you take Naomi, you take Ruth. It's you buy the land. Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing there, you are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. That's their two sons. And with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way, she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all my witnesses today. Did you notice? It's not about him getting the property. It's about her having a male. A male. His concern was not even himself. This, 
probably didn't benefit him at all. In fact, it probably cost him. Sweetheart, I'm home. Guess what I brought home from work today? Another wife. This was not to benefit Boaz in any sense. Verse 11, Then the elders and all the people standing at the gate replied, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrathah and, may, uh, and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who, is, uh, who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. The women of the town said to Naomi, please the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family? May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and who has been better to you than seven sons. Verse 16, Naomi took the baby and cuddled her to her breast and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, now at last Naomi has a son again and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. Okay, let, me, let me try that again because you're sleeping. And they became, they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. And God went, whoo, wow, that's a relief. I was afraid for a minute there this was not going to work out. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about this for about six weeks now, and, and we've gone all the way back to Rahab, who is Boaz's mother, and some of you just love it when I refer to her as the, uh, the, the, the whore of Jericho, because that's who she was, the Gentile whore who ends up being saved as a promise as a result of lying about the spies, and God saves her through the spies' word. She becomes uh, an heiress in the promised land, and the, the mother of Boaz. We talked about the fact that that would make him soft-hearted to a migrant. God knew all this. All Rahab wanted to do was save her skin and those who were in her house. That's all she wanted to do. But God had a plan underneath. He was setting the stage to send a redeemer to Israel because I saw, as I, as I read this to you just now, when you read, and they named him Obed, and he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David the second time around when you woke up a little bit, you went, oh, David, because we all like David, but please understand that David, without being the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather of Jesus, is irrelevant. David wasn't that good of a king. We're about to enter 1 Samuel. We're going there next week. But I want to make it clear to you, David was not a great dad. He was not a great king. He wasn't even a great guy. He was a lousy best friend. He was a lousy uncle because I'm going to make the case that he was an uncle-like character in Bathsheba's life. Wait a minute, that was his lover. Yeah, but he was around when she was growing up. I'm going to show you this stuff. You think that the backstory of Ruth has been shocking. Wait till you learn the backstory of Bathsheba. You're going to say, this guy's a pig. He makes Hollywood look clean. But he did one thing right. He loved God. And God redeemed him for it. He sought redemption from God. He sought redemption from God. And so Boaz, in this story, purchases Ruth and gives her a life at great expense to himself. 
And as it was with Ruth and Naomi, who lives, whose lives have been legally redeemed by a merciful and gracious redeemer by the name of Boaz, so too it was with us and how we forget. In Ephesians chapter one, verses two and th- uh, chapter two, verses one through three, it tells us that once we were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everybody else. We look at D.C. and Hollywood, and we look at these people coming out, and we're kind of going, I knew they were like that. And then you realize that we've done some of the same stuff, maybe not to such an intense degree, but our hearts are just as sinful. As it was in the case of Ruth and Naomi, it isn't enough to know that you're in trouble, though. You see, the world, for the most part, knows it's in trouble. That's why we have a drug problem. I'm really serious about that. We, we, uh, the church has a tendency to look at alcohol and drugs and, and promiscuity as, uh, as the problem. But you need to understand, if you're going to work with people that are broken, that the problem is not what they do, it is why they do it. As Christians sometimes, we just want them to knock it off. And we look at each other and say, knock it off. But we give no time or thought to what's really the problem. We are very, very much like the unnamed redeemer in this story. We have a tendency to look at people and say, just stop without any concern or care for what's going on in their heart. There is a reason that men marry men today. And it isn't just to flip God off and the church off. It's because they're broken. There is a reason Why women sell their bodies across the globe today. It is because they are hungry and they have no hope. There is a reason why people want nothing to do with our God. Probably they've been to church. We have lost our hope. As we were singing holy, holy, holy this morning, I was realizing in light of what what I'm going to take you this morning, part of the problem is that we go through, the church goes through seasons. And some seasons, you know, many of us grew up in the church where we had a, a, a keen knowledge of the fear of the Lord. Do you remember that? the fear of the Lord, you know? And, and, we, and that, that was a good thing, and many today still feel like we've lost that. Well, we've moved into an era of, of intimacy with God through Jesus, of course, and I love that. I love that concept. But if we lose the holiness of God, we won't really appreciate the intimacy with him. You see, we look at that guy in that picture right there, or what we think he looks like. We look at that picture and we go, oh, he's so loving, he's so gentle. We love to pray to Jesus, the blue-eyed, long-haired white guy with an English accent. Why do they always have an English accent in the movies? But we like that guy. He's kind. He's not like the Old Testament God who's judgmental. The Old Testament God set this up. They're the same God. But I want you to understand that he is a complex mixture of holiness and wrath with gentleness, love, and acceptance, and grace. You see that throughout Scripture, especially in the book of Revelation, where Jesus Christ appears as the lion of judah here comes the lion and remember john is terrified and all he sees is what a lamb why a lamb because to a child of god he's not a lion he's not a devouring lion he's gentle he's loving he's merciful and gracious like boaz boaz could have called in an army to remove her he could have had her removed from the nation she's a foreigner you know a jew who was impoverished had the right to glean off of a man's property A Gentile did not have that right. He gave her that right. 
because he was merciful and gracious. His heart was soft. When we, as little kids in church, realized we were a sinner, we ran to God. We couldn't even fathom him rejecting us because that's not anything we ever talk about. But let me be clear, he can reject. He won't. But he could choose just to do what some of you believe. He could just destroy the earth and start over. Remember the whole gap theory in creation some of you believe in? He could just say, I'm, I'm sick of these people. After, after the flood, where he did start it over with eight people, those eight people screw up. And when they're offering a sacrifice, God makes a covenant that he'll never do that again. Why? Not because we don't deserve it. Because he doesn't want to. It gives him pleasure to redeem you. It gives him pleasure to be your dad. As much as you wish you could sit on his lap, he wishes and longs for and looks forward to the day you literally can. This isn't an image. It's not a picture. It's not a metaphor of the church. It's not a, a, a kinder face of God. This is as much as, of God as the Lion of Judah is God. And we have a hard time wrapping our minds around it. He is both. By our very nature, we just read in verse 3, we were under God's anger just like everybody else. In fact, in, in Colossians, it says that we were the enemies of God. Verse 4, but God. Two favorite words in the whole Bible. But God is so rich in mercy. And he loves us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace you've been saved. By his mercy, you're not going to hell. By his grace, you're saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can now point to us in all future ages as examples of his incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. We are God's masterpiece. This wasn't a romantic plan any more than Boaz's plan was romantic. It wasn't a whim. God didn't say, oh, they messed that up. Okay, what are we going to do? Let's huddle up. It tells us that before the world was even formed, before we chose righteousness or sin, God had already set a plan and action to redeem us. It wasn't a whim. Our redemption was a well-thought-out plan based upon God's desire to have a relationship with us, not just show us mercy. God wasn't just going to buy us, give us money, and let us live our lives as some of us act like he does. He's not a deist God. He's not like the, the, many of the founders of this country say. You know, the watch winder, he wound up the watch, he, he offers you redemption, and then he just lets you make decisions in your life. God is intricately involved in our lives. He's personally involved. He wants a relationship with us. He put this plan into action way back in Genesis chapter 3, actually before the world was formed, it tells us. But in Genesis chapter 3, he tells Eve that someday, through her seed, he would redeem back what, uh, what their choices had destroyed. This plan to redeem us, this negotiation, was already being done before we knew that we needed it done to us. As Boaz sits with Ruth in the middle of the night going, 
Who are, who are you, woman, and why have you uncovered my feet? They stinketh. He tells her to be quiet. I'm going to take care of this. Ruth has a choice to believe him or not. She chooses to believe. And if you're unclear on whether or not she ever doubted, when she gets home, Naomi actually says to her, relax. What this man said he will have accomplished before the day is out. Why did Naomi say that to her? Because the conversation that's not recorded probably involved with, I hope he comes through with it, Mom. I hope he finishes. Wouldn't it be wonderful for him to redeem us? And I don't want the other guy. I want him. Because that's how people talk. These aren't Bible story characters. These are real people with feelings and fears and anxiety about the present and the future. And this wasn't a romantic plan some guy had for this woman, at least at first. His plan was to save her. And so it was for God. What God did before he sent Christ was step into negotiation that was being done before we knew we needed to be negotiated for to redeem us. Boaz told Ruth to rest in his word that he would redeem her, and God told us and still tells us to rest in his promise that he has and will and forevermore will choose us. And what was God's plan? Romans 5, 6, and 11. When we were utterly helpless, impoverished, broke, had nothing. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at the right time and he died for us sinners. Now, most people are not willing to die for an upright person. Okay, pay attention to the words here. What he's saying is, most people wouldn't even die for a good friend. Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God... He showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. For those of you who think you can out his grace, I got news for you. He offered you his mercy and grace before you even knew you needed mercy and grace in the first place. It was all done. The negotiation had been finished. The price had been paid. And since we have been made right with God, uh, right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Verse 10, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. As with Boaz, this redemption plan, and I want to remind you that it's one thing to know you need to be redeemed. It's another thing, again, to find somebody who might be capable of redeeming you. But it's a whole other thing to have that person say, I choose to redeem you. Are you following me? We have taken this for granted. We don't really think about the fact that God could have said, go fish. You better live a good life because after this one, you're toast. We don't really even think about the fact that God could get fed up with our selfishness and our sinfulness, but he doesn't. He chooses like Boaz at his own price, the holy God, to stay faithful to his promise to us. As with Boaz, the redemption plan was more than mercy. It was about having a relationship with us, about offering us a full and abundant life. It was all built on his desire, the desire that he had to make us his children, not just keeping us from hell or judgment. That's the tragedy of the gospel as presented often today. The question is, you don't want to go to hell, do you? And everybody says, hell no. How do I get out of this problem? And so we offer him Jesus. Say the magic prayer, walk the magic aisle, pray with the magic pastor, boom, you're in. 
But do you realize that that was never his plan? I want to say that again. God's plan was never to keep you out of hell. It was to make you his kid. And I hope that as I say this every week, Wednesdays, Sundays, every time we talk, I hope that it starts to ingrain itself in you that being the child of God is way better than going to heaven. Because it means you don't just go there and sit there for a billion years, holy, sitting in the TBN studio of eternity. Oh, when we get to heaven, we are home. More home than we feel right now. I love at the end of the day, I actually am the only person who likes five o'clock darkness. I know, you hate the time change. I like, you like it too, me and John. Bless you, John. There's only a few of us. <laughs> there's only a few of us who like the time change. But there's something really cool about this time of the year, especially as we start to de decorate with lights around our house, about having it dark outside and closing the doors and having a fire in the fireplace and that stupid TV watching Hallmark Christmas movies. There's something very romantic and wonderful about that hominess of home. Christmas makes home feel more like home. It's wonderful. Can you imagine what it's going to feel like when we get to heaven and find out that it isn't a sterile worship center and church with wooden pews and it isn't all purple and gold? It's going to be God and home? We're going to kick our shoes off because that's what you do at home. This is our home. And the one over there that, yes, he's holy and righteous, and we are going to do what John and what Isaiah did. I, I never got it. I didn't realize. And he's going to do what he did with them. Come here, son. Come here, sweetheart. Hey, Move over. Make room on his throne and you're going to sit there and he's going to whisper, Revelation says, a secret name in your ear that only you and he knows. And I've told you this before, but whenever I think about that, I think about Little House on the Prairie. I think about what Pa Ingalls called Laura Ingalls Wilder, half pint. I have no idea. I, I mean, I can guess what that means, but you know they never talked about it in the play. They probably talk about it in her books, which I haven't read because they read like a Hallmark story. But the fact is that that was a name between him and her and they got it. You call that girl Anna. I call her Lizzie. Because that's her middle name. Elizabeth. Now don't you start calling her that. That's my name for her. I don't call Zach, Zach very often. I call him Sammy. Because his middle name is Samuel. And nobody calls him Samuel. Nobody knows that. That's my boy. I'm not just, I'm not just uh, some other guy. And sometimes when my kids want to tease with me or get my attention, they'll say Mark. And every time I say excuse me? My name is Dad, and you are one of two people that can call me that. Nobody else can call me that, because that's precious, and I've got news for you. The name Dad is reserved for you by the Holy One, who wants you to call him Dad more than anything else, and for those of you who think this is disrespectful, that's what Abba means, Daddy. It's it's a word that is a familiar word of father. It's daddy. That's what he wanted. He didn't just want you not to go to hell. He didn't just want to give you money and property and a place to go other than fire. He wants you to be his kid. That is redemption. That's why Boaz is a picture of Christ. So we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God, Romans 5.11 says, because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us the friends of God. Galatians 4, 4, and 5. When the right time came, take a breath. 
Boaz says to Ruth, go ahead and sleep the rest of the night. You're going to get up early, though, and you're going to leave before people can recognize you. You know, in our, our modern mind, it becomes kind of sordid. It wasn't sordid. He had a plan. The right time came. God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. Merry Christmas. It's not about a baby born in Bethlehem. It's not about peace. It's about God preparing the price it would cost to make us his kids. That first Noel was the enacting of a plan to pay for our redemption. Look at verse 5 in Galatians 4. God sent him to buy our freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. I'm not making this up. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call it Daddy! 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 Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. So Boaz went to the city gate to make a purchase of Ruth official and a public record. And Jesus came to make our redemption official and public record. Do you remember this part of the story in Matthew chapter 1? An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David. Oh, oh, wait a minute. That's the grandchild of David. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, which, by the way, is Hebrew for what? Salvation. You're you're, you're supposed to call him salvation for he is going to save his people from their sins. So Mary's already been told this by the angel of the Lord. Now Joseph has now been told that they're about to give birth to God himself who is the Savior, the Messiah they've been waiting for. And in Luke 2, so we got Mary being told. We got Moses, or Mary, Moses, that's funny. Joseph being told. We've got Elizabeth knowing because in her womb, John the Baptist leapt, uh, not wept, leapt, We've got John knowing, Zach- I'm sorry, John's father, Zachariah, because the Lord told him because he doubted he'd have a baby. But now look what happens in Luke chapter 2. This wasn't a secret. Where Boaz was secret, God was not. That n- the night came where the shepherds were staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord, and don't think of this in Christmas terms, just look at the story. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. Ah! But the angel assured them, don't be afraid. By the way, he's talking, he's not singing. Hollywood's got it wrong, and it's, it's been ingrained in your mind wrong. This is a conversation. In case you're not clear, whenever you see angels flying around you, you are going to freak out. So too did the shepherds. So it is natural for him to say, don't be afraid. To which the shepherds wet themselves and said, sure, right, yeah, whatever. Don't be afraid, he said, because I'm bringing you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Mary, Joseph, Zechariah, everybody. It's going to be good news. The Savior Yes, the Messiah, you know, the one you've been waiting for, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem in the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. So I'm going to tell you where to find this guy because we want you to go, prove me, prove me right, go find him. You're going to find him wrapped in snugly in strips of cloth and laying in a manger. Do you want to know why there was no room for them in the inn? Because if they had been in the inn, they would have been any other baby born in an inn. But God needed to put Jesus in a place 
where he would stand out. And there ain't many babies this day. Unlike today, there's not many babies being born and laid in a manger. That was a sign, my friends. And that star that's shining on them, that's a hundred million year old star that God put in the sky to shine just at that moment. We, we don't realize that God behind the scenes has already been doing it. Rahab wanted to save her family and her family's family from, from the Israeli army, right? And they're afraid of the God of Israel. And God had set a plan into action that looked like her plan and made her feel like it was her plan, but he had a plan into action. I'm going to make you the great, great, great grandmother of King David. What? Wait a minute. I don't know about all that, God. I just want to save my family from the army. You ever said that? How many times have you heard a pastor or a song or a preacher or a book tell you God has a great plan for your life? And what's your thought? Exactly what Rahab's would have been. I'm not worried about God's great plan for my life. I just want to survive the moment. But God understands that. So survive the moment. He's still at work. He's still at work. And what is his work? Redeeming you and redeeming those around you. You will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, laying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, and it doesn't say singing, so it's even more powerful. These manly angels are saying, and somebody's going to ask me, how do I know they're men? Trust me, I was there. Glory to God. That was a joke. That was about as funny as the tetracycline. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. If you are not the child of God tonight, this morning, today, wherever you are, whenever you're watching, let me be clear, there is no peace God offers to you. There's only peace for those of us who are his children. Well, that's not nice. It is if you join us. Join us. Well, I don't want to join you. Then don't expect peace. Our dad is a lion to his enemies and a lamb to his children. Be one of his kids. I don't want to be one of his kids. Then don't complain. Do it on your own. Drink your way into eternal life or death. Try it your way. In fact, the fact that we're having this conversation, the fact you're walking today, let me ask you this. How's it working for you? How's it working for you on your own route? For those of you who are children of God who are living in the flesh, how's that working for you? Wow, that's the first time I've ever had somebody say living in the flesh worked for them. Usually it's self-destructive. I've never met on exception until just now. The truth is that there's no peace outside of a relationship with God. There's money, there's drugs, there's uh, self-fulfillment in certain aspects, there's psychology and medicines that they use, but outside of a personal, intimate relationship with your Redeemer, there is no hope. There's no hope. You see, hope is part of the relationship. You see, Jesus Christ, much like Boaz, didn't come just to redeem your property and give you money and, and send you on your way in hopes of fixing your life. He didn't come just to fix your marriage. He came to make your life abundant in his plan. And that offers hope. So he came not secretive, he screamed it. And as Ruth ran to Boaz, we run to Jesus seeking to be redeemed. And here's what he did. Romans 3.21 But now God has shown us a way to be made right in his, of him without keeping the requirements of the law. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to be a Jew. You don't have to keep the Ten Commandments. There's another way of being right with himself. 
And this way was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right by God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We've all fallen short of God's standard. Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sin. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for our sin. Jesus Christ took our penalty. He paid the price. People are made right with Him when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. Hebrews 9. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With His own blood, not the blood of of goats and calves, but His own blood, He entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our what? redemption you not your property not your kids not your marriage you have been redeemed by the blood of christ this is what it looks like to be redeemed this is what it looks like it's not enough to know you need to be redeemed it's not enough to ask somebody to redeem you they've got to want to redeem you and i'm telling you that guy in that picture that may or may not look like him He wants to redeem you. He is so committed to your redemption that 2,000 years ago, he killed his son so that the price would be paid. And it has been paid. You just have to decide whether to accept it or reject it. If you reject it, it will be a price unused. If you accept it, there is hope. And for those of us who have already been redeemed, let me make it clear to you. If you got cancer this year and lost your wife and your kids are on their deathbed and rebellious or whatever the circumstance of their life, we have much to be thankful for because we, my friends, have been redeemed. Hit it, Kip. If you burn turkeys and pumpkin pie, if you hate your family because they drive you nuts, you can still be thankful.
because you've been redeemed. I think the problem with much of the church is we keep being satisfied or looking for hope in the things that will disappoint. Our churches, our spouses, our kids, our parents. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that they will all disappoint. Like the other Redeemer. But your real Redeemer never, ever will. Celebrate Him this Thanksgiving. Let's close in prayer. Father, help us to remember your mercy and your grace. And may this be the best Thanksgiving ever because we're thankful for that thing you gave us that's stored and protected in heaven where thief and rust and moth cannot destroy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Agape Feast is Tuesday night. We have Operation Christmas Child. We need help tomorrow. And right now, men, if you could help us, we need to stack these chairs, and then we'll start bringing tables out, and we'll start putting chairs around them, and then we'll bring other tables in. Uh, Bible study is going to start in 15 minutes.